Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Good morning, church. Some of you know me, most of you do not. My name is Noel Jack, and I am a pastor within the Church of God of Anderson. And I just finished up the process for ordination here last month. And then it'll hopefully be... (laughs) Glory to God on that one, because I didn't think I was going to make it through. But I finished up the process last month. I have another meeting with... um, credentials here on the 7th of October, and then hopefully after 30 days of prayer by credentials and the other pastors within Western Pennsylvania, then I will become fully ordained. So I am here this morning because Brandon is uh, with Sarah Lee, they're back in Kentucky, and they are celebrating Brandon's mother-in-law and father-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary. So I think that's a a pretty special occasion for him to not be here. So he'd actually asked me if I would fill in for him today, and I said, sure. (laughs) And then I thought about it, and and then over over the course of the week, I, I just, I kept on praying and kept on praying for the Holy Spirit to move and to, to take anything outside of me that's not him and to, uh, to reveal to me what he wants people to listen to. And the more I did that, the more energized I got. You know, I was just like, wow, man, I'm like really pumped. And so like this morning I got up, I got into the shower. I like actually exfoliated my face. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you guys, I mean, for all the men out there, it's, it's, it's like real tingly. And it's, it, is, it is a rush. It's really... And, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, I beg to differ that whenever Moses came down off of Sinai and had to cover his face because he was in the presence of God, I, I, I really think he was up there exfoliating. <laughs> he came down, at, he was a new man, but I digress. <clears throat> so let, we've been going over a sermon series called The Cost of Peace, and we've been going through a book by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. And this has been our sermon series for the past three weeks and it will continue on for another three weeks. Our small groups have been doing it, and um, I actually am a teacher, uh, one of the teachers in our teenagers class where I'm blessed with all the senior citizens um, of this congregation. We had 41 of them in here this morning. So praise God for their continued faithfulness and in, in, uh, in coming and in, in growing, and as I share with them every week, we're never too old to stop learning. We're never too old to stop growing in our faith um, until the day that we are are called home to be with Christ. So um, we have a wonderful class in there, and we've been going through this study there as well as a lot of other small groups that maybe some of you are attending uh, currently. This week, uh, week three, we're going to be talking about uh, My Father, My Father is the title of this sermon, and we're going to be looking a little bit more deeply into the relationship between Saul and David. Uh, king Saul was the very first king that was appointed over the, uh, the nation of Israel. 
And David, as we know, who would later to become King David, was just a young man that uh, a little bit later down the road would become anointed by God to become the next king of Israel as the wickedness of Saul continued to grow. So let me start by asking you a couple questions. Have you ever been offended or hurt by someone that held an esteemed position of authority in your life? If so, how would you describe your relationship with them both before and after? And a follow-up question to that would be, were you still able to honor that position given them even when in the midst of your hurt or anger? Were you able to honor their position in the midst of your hurt and anger? And even though you disagree with the way that they carry out that responsibility, given them that position of authority, do you still respect that person in that position? So I'm going to ask the obvious question, and then I'm going to drop it, because these always get into, uh, into divisive topics within the church and in society and in families. But let me ask the obvious. Do you respect the office, okay, the office of the President of the United States? Do you respect the office, regardless of who fills that position? I'm speaking of the position of the President of the United States in and of itself. God, God establishes authority, that is true, but it is, is it possible, is it possible that he lets people use their free will to put that person into that position? So let's redirect a little bit. Do you respect the, person, the position of pastor or in the Catholic Church, the priest, even though we're not Catholic, but... Do you respect, respect that position? Many have served in these roles and have found ways to dishonor themselves and to dishonor God, but do their actions make you dishonor or disrespect the position of authority itself that God had created, or does it just make you disrespect the person that fills that role, that fills that position? The struggles of the Catholic and both the Protestant churches are well-documented, is it possible that God uses the sinful actions of those in authority to make a statement to his people? What statement could he make with these actions that have been lifted to, up to a person of a, of a position of authority? Three words came into my mind whenever I asked my, myself that question. And the statement that God would make is, seek me first. Seek me first in all that you do. This is week number three of our sermon series, The Cost of Peace, and in today's message, we're going to take a look at the story of David and his relationship with King Saul. Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel, and up to this point, up to this point, God himself had ruled as king over the nation of Israel. So why did God allow the position of king to be established in Israel whenever he himself had already filled that position? When the request was brought to the prophet Samuel for him to give them a king to judge them like all other nations, we read God's response to their request in 1 Samuel 8, verses 6 through 9. Scripture says that Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me 
and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So God had allowed the people of Israel to select their ruler. King Saul would ultimately end up proving to be a wicked king. Most of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah were evil kings. There were a couple sprinkled in there that we find out that were righteous. But the people of Israel or the leaders of Israel selected the kings without consulting God first. They went straight to the prophet and said, we want a king. So as the prophet Samuel speaks to God, God will allow their choices. Yet he granted these men the authority to rule as kings. God knows the heart of mankind and he knows the heart of those people that are put into power. So as Saul became increasingly resistant to the direction of God, it became necessary. It became time for God to make a change. So David was selected by God from the sons of Jesse. And going through one by one, the prophet Samuel comes upon the young David who had been leading or tending to the sheep in the fields. And so 1 Samuel 16, 13 states this. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So David was anointed in the same way that we see that King Saul was originally anointed. He was anointed because he was to become the next king of Israel. So as the anointing of David took place, he would be introduced into the house of King Saul. David held great honor under the rule of Saul. He lived in his palace. He ate at his table. He would marry the king's daughter. His best friend, Jonathan, was the king's son. And David was successful in all of his battles that he undertook. Saul had become like a father to young David. He was more of a father figure to him. But just as, as David was rejoicing in the goodness and favor of God, something began to snap and turn in Saul. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 7. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed the thousands and David his ten thousands. And later we read from that point on that Saul began to keep a jealous eye upon David. Saul took offense to the admiration that was given to David. So how did Saul handle this offense? We've been discussing for these last three weeks of what our, our correct response to offense is to be. What God says, or how God says we should react to offense. But the way that Saul handled it was is that he set out to have David killed. It was obvious that he did not want the people of Israel to select David to be their next king. Saul was mistaken to think that he could withhold God's judgment upon him. And we will see how offense is handled by Saul, and shortly we will do the same with David. But how have we been taught 
moving forward is a productive and spiritual way to handle offense. Jesus gives us a glimpse as to what we should take into consideration when we are offended, whenever we are angry or hurt by somebody that brings offense upon us. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught those listening, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, I don't think he said idiot, but if you call somebody a not nice person, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Man, that's powerful. And that's a teaching that I myself, I have tripped over multiple times along the way in my life. I've had to reflect inwardly at why I was offended by what someone said or did to me. Why did what they say hurt me, whether they were intentional about it or unintentional about it? While there could be a number of reasons for my hurt or my anger, the majority of the time it came to three flaws within my own personality that caused me to react in the way that I did. And I'm applying those same three flaws to the personality of Saul as it relates to his offense to God and ultimately to David. So there's no question that Saul had a lot of issues. And the anointing of David was brought forth because of the past wickedness and rebellion from Saul towards God. But we begin to see some of the true nature of Saul bleed out in this encounter with God's newly anointed David. These three characteristics will lead to destruction for not only Saul, but in a lot of cases for all of us if we let that happen. The first one is pride. My pride is hurt. Whenever I'm offended by somebody, the first thing that usually gets hurt within me is my pride. Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. The pride of Saul was hurt. We see the pride of Saul throughout the reading of the book of 1 Samuel. It was his pride that led him to disobey God from the beginning. It was his pride that led him to disobey God not only once, but a few times along the way. Saul's pride told him that he could make the decisions himself without the counsel of God. And his pride had led him to believe that he was the savior of Israel, even though the hand of God was still now upon David. The love for David by the people of Israel hurt Saul's pride. Pride asks these questions. Do you know what I have accomplished? Do you know what I have done? Do you know what I have earned? Do you know what I possess? Do we understand that whenever these questions are asked, the nominal word in there is I. What I have done, what I have earned, what I possess, that is what pride brings. The second thing is ego. My ego has been hurt. My ego has been bruised. Ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance, self-worth, self-respect, self-conceit, self-image, 
self-confidence. My ego has been hurt. Many times ego and pride go hand in hand. As we see in the case of Saul's offense to David, there's no question that Saul had a rather large ego. We can see that throughout the reading of his life in the books of Samuel. Consider that, God, or that Saul was anointed at one time by God to be the first king of Israel. With God's provision, Saul had defeated many of the armies that we've read about of the surrounding nations. They defeated the Ammonites, they defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Amalekites. He built a powerful army by uniting the tribes, so it's easy to see how Saul's ego and how Saul's pride can start to balloon. He started to begin to think more highly of himself. And while his ego, is, his ego increased, his trust in God began to decrease. Because it was at that time that Saul began to look inward and stop looking outward. Ego asked the questions, do you know who I am and who do you think you are in comparison to me? The third thing, the third trait, as I mentioned, is trust in God. How does trust in God relate to these other areas, these other characteristics within us? It was obvious that Saul lacked a trust in God. Trust in God is confidence, reliance, or resting of the mind on the integrity, the veracity, the justice, the friendship, or other sound principles of God, having confidence in the will of God. That is what trusting in God means. So in the instance of Saul's offense to David, there's a lack of trust in God. And this here proves to be Saul's most deadly offense. It was his lack of trust during the war with the Philistines that caused him to carry out the sacrifices on his own instead of waiting for the prophet Samuel to arrive. It was his lack of trust that Saul let the king of the Amalekites live, as well as their best livestock, even though he was told by the prophet Samuel that he was to blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, as written in the scripture. This flaw in Samuel was the fatal flaw that causes God to finally reject Saul as king. A lack of trust in God does not ask questions. A lack of God, or trust in God instead makes statements. You don't know what they've done or said to me. You don't do anything to make them pay for what they've done. I don't need you. I need to take matters into my own hands and deal with it my own way. We see this throughout the time that Saul is king. So can we see how Saul's trust, whenever his trust in God goes down... His pride and his ego start to go up. As we mentioned before, he begins to have an inflated image of himself to the point where he begins to take matters into his own hands as opposed to waiting, patiently waiting on the direction and the provision of God. And as his trust in God goes down, we begin to see his life and his position within the nation of Israel begin to crumble. God's hand has been removed from his life. And I cannot personally speak for Saul, but I cannot think of a more horrifying place in life 
than to be without the hand of God within mine. And not to have God behind me, in front of me, or beside me at all times, guiding me and directing me. And it is during the desert times in my life that I've looked around for God, knowing that he never left, but that I've walked away from him. Where was Saul's focus? Saul's offense sets his focus on the primary and not the eternal. Saul sets his focus on the physical and not the spiritual. Saul's focus is on the horizontal and not the vertical. It was, his focus was on David, and it was on, not on God. And his focus sets him on a path to kill the young man that God had put into place to take over, ultimately, the throne of Israel. So what about David? How do you suppose that David reacted to the news that God, or that, I'm sorry, that Saul was determined to hunt him down, to kill him, to take him out? David had done everything that Saul had asked him. In fact, in 1 Samuel 18.5, it says, Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. It's easy. It is easy to see why David would take offense to the news of Saul wanting to kill him. David had done nothing wrong to bring about the hatred of Saul. David had begun to lack trust, or David had to begin to lack trust in God at one point. David is forced to run for his life. Why would God allow David to be put under the care of the leadership of Saul? Why would he be allowed to be put under the leadership of a lunatic? and of a bad man. You would think that David's trust would kind of waver a little bit. But as we'll be reading in our scripture readings this morning, we're going to see just how deep that trust that David had was for, for uh, God. David could have handled this offense no differently than Saul and challenged the rule in the leadership of Saul, as well as questioned the divine providence of God. He could have beat Saul to the punch, and killed him first. The Israelites most likely would have considered David justified in doing so, but instead, David does the unexpected, and he honors the position that Saul holds because of the anointing that God has originally bestowed upon him. David honors the position that God has established. Even though he doesn't agree with the actions or the words of the, the person that is in that position. And this brings us this morning to our key point for our, morning, for our morning message. Honor, not vengeance, opens up the door for God to move powerfully. Honor, not vengeance, opens the door for God to move powerfully. The vengeance that is taken upon those who offend us should always be in the hands of our Creator. We should always leave vengeance to the hands of our Creator. We can easily get swallowed up when we focus outward and not upward. David could have easily fallen into this trap, but instead David puts his faith and he puts his trust in God. 
He gives the power of judgment back to God and releases himself from vengeance against Saul. So in his first opportunity to take action against Saul for plotting to kill him, David is on the run. And we're going to pick up one of the two scriptural readings for this morning so that we can see how David responds to this offense. Now, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along from your Bible, that's great. Um, if you want to follow along, we do have the scripture up on the screen um, behind me. But we're going to be reading from, um, our first one will be from 1 Samuel 24. And it will actually be going from uh, verses uh, 1 through 25, I believe I have here. But I will start, uh, I will start reading and, and uh, you can follow along. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, or as Brandon would say, he went to poo. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, Dave's men, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he'd cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I should not attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men, and he did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came around and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you, <coughs> excuse me, and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you were trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. After reading these verses, let me ask you this. So where was David's focus? Where was David's focus? On God. It was up. David was focusing vertically. David was not focusing horizontally. There's no doubt that Saul's focus was on David, but there could be even less doubt 
that David's focus was on God. Saul looked outwards and David looked upwards. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. Man, those are powerful words from a very mature man. Can we say that we have always felt that way? Can we say that we have always felt that way? I will let God go ahead and dole out the punishment, but I am not going to take vengeance. I'm not going to take this matter, this offense, into my own hands. But in his innocence, Dave proves to Saul that he could have easily taken his life and he could have put this entire thing to rest. Yet honor, not vengeance, opens the door for God to move powerfully. David continues to honor the anointed position of Saul. And even though David refers to Saul as the Lord's anointed one, is the Lord's anointing still upon Saul the man? 1 Samuel 16, 14 says this, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. The tormenting spirit is said to be from God. But I believe that the tormenting spirit was allowed by God. For there is no evil in God, so God did not send it. I believe that God allowed the tormenting spirit. Because God's protection is upon those who trust in him, honor him, glorify him, and are obedient to him. This was no longer the case for Saul, if we think about it, because another character flaw of Saul was his disobedience. Saul was disobedient to the Lord. God's protection upon Saul was physical throughout the battles that he fought, and it was spiritual against the wars waged by Satan upon him. So after David's plea, Saul breaks down and says these words, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So, so at this point, Saul is done trying to kill David, correct? No, we know better. Because two chapters later, in 1 Samuel 26, 1 through 12, we get to see another one of Saul's moves against David. First Samuel 26, 1 through 12. Now some of the men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hekilah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hekilah near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him into the wilderness... He sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the 
commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. So Saul and Abner were in the middle of this massive group of soldiers that were all laying around them in order to protect them. They all fell asleep in that manner. Who will, go, who will volunteer to go in there with me, David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found them asleep. And with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head, Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground, and with one thrust of the spear, I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, do not kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike down Saul someday, or he will die of old age in a battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed, but take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and he took the jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking them up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. Once again, David's allegiance to God is tested with this new opportunity that is presented to him to take the life of Saul. And I think most people would just say, you know what, David would be justified in doing so. This man has been setting his course to kill me. That is all he is focused on. All he wants to do is kill me, so why not beat him to the punch? Why not take him out before he takes me out? I mean, Saul had found out that whenever Saul had found out that David was being ministered to and protected by the priests in the town of Nob while he was running from Saul, Saul became so furious that he had the entire town of priests, women, children, babies, and livestock all murdered. He wiped out an entire town. They were all murdered in cold blood because of his maniac attitude. But David continues to put his trust in God. Why was it necessary, do you believe, for Abishai to be the one to go with, to go with David to, to uh, see Saul? I believe that the only purpose for Abishai to accompany David was so that he could be the voice of temptation to David. He went with David so that he could test David's obedience in God. And it wasn't Abishai doing so. It was God using Abishai to put that temptation into the heart of David. Do we have those people in our lives now who tempt us to go against God's protection, to go against God's word in our life? God needed a man after his own heart, and that was what he was finding in David through the trials that he continually persevered through. God needed a strong and upright leader from whose seed God would ultimately deliver his son, Jesus Christ, to become the savior of our world. 
So going back quickly, let's apply these same three characteristics of personality to David as we previously did to Saul. Do you remember those three characteristics? The first one was pride. Where did, where did pride sit within David's life, within the life of David? If we read 1 Samuel 24, 5 through 7 that we read earlier, we see, but then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let him kill Saul. The words of David are not saturated, not saturated by pride. David was anointed by God just as Saul was before him, but yet any pride that David may have had was kind of kept in check by God, by his trust in God, by letting the Holy Spirit continue to move through him. Later in David's role as king of Israel, some of these characteristics in David are definitely challenged. He didn't keep this perfect throughout his whole life, but in this instance, his, his pride was kept in check because of his relation, his tight relationship with God. David stays surrendered to the Holy Spirit who lives within him. The second one was ego. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 24, verse 14. Who, of, who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyways? He says, should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? That does not sound like a prideful man to me. Some people might call that passive-aggressive behavior. But I feel that that was the way that David was showing his lack of ego. He did not have ego. He said, listen, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. David could have easily said, you know what? You know who I am? I've been appointed by God. I've been anointed by God. No different than you. So do you know who I am? But David does not do that. Instead, he says, I am as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea. Why even waste your time? David knew his place. Number three was trust in God. 1 Samuel 26, verses 9 through 11. No, David said, don't kill them. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike down Saul one day, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed, but take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. So as we did with Saul, can we do the same thing with David? Do we see the correlation between David's pride and ego and his trust in God? Here's David's trust in God. Here's David's pride and ego. As his trust in God goes up, the characteristics that hold us back, the characteristics that make us take offense and carry out that offense, go down. His trust in God was great, and his ego and his pride were right where God wanted them to be. Because David honored the anointed position of the king of Israel. David lived out our key point for our message today. Honor, not vengeance, will open the door for God to move powerfully.
As Saul's trust in God was low or even non-existent, his ego and his pride began to come out of control. They drove him to chase David for years, trying to kill him before he could take the throne that God had already anointed him to take. Saul had spiraled when his trust in God had diminished, and he took vengeance into his own hands. Have you been hurt, betrayed, offended by somebody in your past or even your present who held a leadership role? Maybe it was a boss at work who you may have always seemed to have had a pretty decent relationship with. Maybe it was a spiritual leader such as a pastor or an elder within the church. How did you handle that situation? And let me ask you this, how do you wish you handled that situation? Did you act like Saul and set out for vengeance by speaking ill against whomever it was, trying to gain support from others in order to, quote, overthrow who it is that brought you offense? Or did you act like David? And did you leave that offense for God and God alone? Do you have the mindset that there are times that we are put under the authority of those that we do not agree with or sometimes even like because God may be testing our obedience to whether or not we trust him to handle all of our hurts and our angers and our hang-ups in our offenses. So as we close this morning, I would like to, well, first I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they come forward, I want to share something with you. This week, God has really tested me on this message. I was told um, some time ago by a very uh, godly and loving pastor that you do not preach on the things that you do not want to be tested on. And so as I thought back over all the times that I could relate to being in offense by somebody in authority of me, I really didn't have any, I guess, like really constructive ideas as to when that has happened in my life. But this week, in my secular job, that happened. I'd like to tell you that my first response was to act the way that David did, my first response was that my flesh caused the same response to my pride and ego as it did to Paul, or I mean to Saul, I'm sorry. My pride and ego welled up, and my trust in God went down. I did not act out on that, I will say that. I did not act out on it, but yet, every evening I was going home from work and blasting this person to my wife and saying this person should not be in leadership role. And the funny thing is, is that the next day I went in and I was still in my mood and God had used the voice of a non-believer, a devout atheist, a very non-believer to say, they are still in a position of authority over you. You still need to respect their position even though you may not respect the person who fills that position. And man, it was like that, boom. And then I just sat back and I thought to myself, wow, I'm being tested on what I'm preaching on. And it was a very humbling experience. My attitude needed to change or I was no different than Saul. It was not an outward expression of words that showed this person that I was offended by their words and their actions. It was actually an internal battle with inside myself. And as far as that person was concerned, they had done nothing wrong. 
but my heart needed to mirror David. So let me wrap up by saying this. John Bevere so wisely states in our book, The Bait of Satan, a person who has ceased from sin is a perfectly obedient child of God. He is mature. He or she chooses God's way, not their own. Just as Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered, we learn obedience by the difficult circumstances that we face. When we obey the word of God that is spoken by the Holy Spirit, we will grow and mature in the times of conflict and suffering. Our knowledge of scripture is not the key. Obedience is. So I encourage you this morning to remain obedient to God in all things. And these altars, as they are every week, are open for anybody who wants to come forth and speak to the Lord. The altars to my right, to your left, are the altars that are used for anybody that would like to have somebody come with them in prayer. Maybe you don't know what to pray for. You're more than welcome to ask one of the leaders or even a family member or somebody that you trust to come and pray with you. And then the altars to my left and your right are for those who want to come forward and, and pray on their own and don't want anybody to bother them. And you want to share your heart with the Lord. So I encourage you to come forward as you feel called today or pray in your, in your uh, pews. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the examples that you give us in Scripture we sometimes think that the, that the Bible is not uh, pertinent to our lives today, which could not be any further from the truth. Just as these people have suffered through many things thousands of years ago, Lord, we suffer through the same things today. And we can, we can put ourselves in the, in the shoes of Saul. We can put ourselves in the shoes of David. And it's up to us, Lord, at that point to grow into you, to grow closer to you, to lean into you, Lord, to find out what we need to do to change. Convict us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. Convict every action that we take. Convict every word that we speak. I pray, Lord, for this congregation moving forward that we will all grow in these lessons that we are learning over these six weeks that we may learn as a congregation, as the body of Christ, of how to handle offense better. May your Holy Spirit flow freely through this church, Lord. May no boundaries stop them. May may the enemy be taken from our presence, Lord. May worship flow freely for you and to glorify you and to honor you. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the teaching of Brandon. I thank you for all that are dedicated on the staff. And I thank you for all those who faithfully show up every week or or, are able to watch from home. I thank you for all of them, Lord. And I praise you. And I pray for your abundant blessings to be poured out across all of them. We love you, Father. More than anything in this world, we love you. We trust you. We glorify you. And we do all of this, all in the name of our Lord and Savior, our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. 
Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.